Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown, a part of the podcast network that is Blue Wire. appreciate you being here. This is Jake Burns. Happy Friday to you and all of yours. Excited to have John Colosimo on as we normally do. Can't wait for that. Before we do get to that, I want to remind you of a quick show that we're doing on the Bleacher app called Brownie Bites. Me and my dude Matt are doing a show where you can come in, you can interact, hang out on your phone, use your camera, come in, pop in, ask questions. We're going to let you know the date of that later this week. It's tentatively on Tuesdays. Keep your eye out for that. I'll advertise it on my timeline, but check out Brownie Bites. I'll let you know the date change. Not totally sure yet. Things are flexible, especially weird since there's a Thursday game coming up next week. So keep your eye out. Okay, welcoming in John. John, how are you, man? I'm doing excellent, Jake. Uh, It's a uh, short week for me because of the way things have gone, but uh, definitely getting towards the end here. I can't believe tomorrow's Friday, to be honest. It's a. It's been a quick week. It's quick. Well, it's a quick week and a slow week. It's been a lot of. Uh, it's been a lot of banter, a lot of discourse. Tried to steer oh, clear true. of it. So, <laughs> tried to steer clear of it as best I can. But sometimes you can't steer clear. But as we do on this Friday episode, I, I do want to go around the league, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on the Gruden stuff, man. I really don't. Uh, partly because there's a whole bunch of hidden layers there, and. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't love talking about other people's issues in life and mistakes in life, but just like the funny stuff to me is the way the NFL is, is doing their deal. Like, I just can't believe that only one isolated incident of a coach or someone in prominence in the league had this happen. Somebody got a hold of this in my, I'm not going tinfoil hat here, but somebody got a hold of it who, who the NFL couldn't protect. And I think that's where it came from. And the Redskins are somehow getting out of this unscathed so far and going, going so far, John has to retire the number of Sean Taylor in the weekend after this whole thing breaks. It's just peak irony with the, with, with the Washington football team. Oh, it, it really is like considering what this is and what this is all about to do this thing now is, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's almost to be expected. Like there was a time where there was in the running, you know, it was basically Dan Snyder and, um, hee for worst owners in the NFL. And I had many an argument with my former co-host, Josh, um, great, great, excellent person to have on the pod. Um, excellent, uh, military vet for, for us on the Brown side. But yeah, he would argue that, um, that Jimmy was worse and I would argue the opposite. Now we both lived in the area for 10 plus years. He still lives there now. But Dan Snyder has just continued to be the absolute worst of NFL owners, and they're going to protect their boys club. I, I, what I can't understand is how Bruce Allen is seemingly getting, you know, he must have some dirt because that's the only way that you don't throw Bruce Allen as well under the sacks. Because uh, from what I understand, he's kind of a linchpin in how these connections are and who is doing a lot of these things. Yeah. Can't, can't imagine it ends with what we've heard. Uh, but again, there could be some bearing. There's a, whatever they can keep hush hush. Cool. I'm not, we're not going to delve too deep into it. I was talking to you off air about <laughs> something I heard on billions. If you're a fan of billions, the show 
Bobby Axelrod makes his money in sort of sheepish ways in the stock market, doing his thing, managing hedge funds, all of that, and he's trying to buy the New York Giants. And as he's getting close to buying them, his bid is denied because as the deciding factor was he's not qualified enough. I found this this line just so funny that owning a sports team in in, in America is like being knighted in uh you know, overseas. And to me, it was so funny to think like, what? <laughs> Look at some of the owners in this, <laughs> in this country. What are you talking about? Like Mark Davis, dude, come on, man. I swear he's a Halloween stuffed animal that's stitched up. Like I, he does not seem like a, a, a actual human being. You can't and wake up every day with him, that haircut. Would... Like, oh can't... my God. He, imagine being his wife and you wake up every morning and like turn to see that. Would you not just be like, <laughs> I know every, yeah. every single time it'd be like that. It'd be like ten times worse than that old weird Burger King commercial, waking up with the king, which is yeah. creepy enough. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you can accept that as a look, but you get so much money, then you don't you don't care anymore, I guess. But yeah, that was that 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 line is kind of rung so funny to me because of some of the you know the Donald Sterlings and like I, I don't think that 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 barometer is quite true. So. Let's segue to the division that we always analyze, and a couple topics have come up uh, between the the AFC North with Baltimore and Baltimore. Look, we're going to talk about them because they're the standard. They right. They I know they didn't win the division last year, but to, in my opinion, they were clearly the best team in the division. Uh, right there with Cleveland, Pittsburgh was a very phony start, a very phony finish, and we all saw how it you know sort of played out there. And Baltimore, to me, again is like the team that we all went into this year thinking if the Browns are going to win the division for the first time since. 89 they have to beat this team uh injuries happen all of that okay they're not going to be good then this four and one start and the tweet today which basically said i should go find it so i don't sound like i'm ill prepared give me a second john i'll find it on my timeline but i just couldn't believe a place that is so data driven like pro football focus can sometimes lose sight of that and and make it so like results driven the ravens threw an unreasonable amount uh i think it was amount but it's said about through an unreasonable amount of injuries to their roster got a natural experiment in what life is like uh going to be like with lamar jackson at quarterback top end money returns are good okay there's a lot to unpack there i read that and i'm like hmm that to me feels like you're saying he's making up for the roster worth of injuries because it's not just the running backs who have been hurt it's losing an elite cornerback which matters to how they play defense and it's like, okay, Lamar's been great, cool, agree. Because someone tried to, you know, we'll talk about this in a second. He's been good, great, fine, yeah, get it. I'm not, I'm not questioning what Lamar is, but like, they they didn't win three games by like ah they were up one score, you know, or they they kicked a 22 yarder to win it. They like needed insane luck in three games to win. Like the Chiefs win that game nine, I would say 98 times out of 100. The the Agreed. the kick from Tucker was bananas to to first miss the miss the uh, the the play clock running down miss the delay of game then miss what I thought was intentional grounding fine then it's like he's kicking from sixty six or whatever the hell it was sixty two I can't remember the number that's an insane win and then to be down the way they were down at home to to a bad Colts team who then had to miss their own kick it's like. They had to go. Then they had to go down and score and get two. Like I get it, Lamar helps the offense, but that wasn't framed to say he helped the offense. It's just so like to me, process is ignored here. They could very easily be one and four, and I'm not saying this is the traditional like. Well, the Browns could be five and zero, oh, 
I think that's different. The Browns haven't had insane losses to me. Like they've just, those are relatively flip coin flip NFL losses. In my opinion, these, these Ravens, you could probably say the chiefs game fine. They needed a fumble, which is so rare, <laughs> whatever. I'll even concede the chiefs game. They should be two and three. And like, someone's like, well, the Oakland game was no, well, Lamar fumbled in his own territory. So spare me that. And the weirdness of getting to overtime in the first place, right? Where they're on the they're on the one yard line. Like, I just think people ignore that. These were not, John, in my opinion, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but these were not normal games. Like, they've been insanely lucky to be four and one. And like, okay, if they were one and four, would you be saying this about Lamar and the quarterback top end money stuff? I don't think you would. No, 100%. Like, and just like you said, these, these aren't just like, hey, you were in five close games because uh, well no four four of five because Denver wasn't you know it wasn't just that you were in five close ones and you won four of them you know or something like that like you said like they it's taken other teams doing you know uh, crazy things and basically snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory to manage this four and one thing I think one of the things that I've learned is you got to separate like the individual PFF guys, especially the data guys from the PFF main product, because they will often go against the grain. This is kind of what I've found, you know, after seeing, you know, how Baker was being graded throughout uh, the majority of last season. And, you know, these guys just were basically making comments that went completely against the actual PFF grades um, and eventually against even EPAs, I think so they're battling against priors. But the 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 point of it is saying that you're not always getting the PFF um, company line when it comes to some of these individual accounts. So um, yeah, it was crazy, and it's you know, but you expect a data scientist like Eric, who I follow, he follows me. I really enjoy his stuff. I read a lot of his articles. I think he's put out a ton of good content over the years. But it's wild to me to, you know, read somebody like that basically posting something like entirely results based when you are a, you know, a process based guy. You know, process over results is the mantra for, you know, a lot of the analytics slash data guys, those types of things. You know, it's not always going to fall in your favor because you're still dealing with uh, wildly variable situations, you know, so it's about if you had a good process, that's, a, you know, just for anybody who's not familiar with that term, that's, that's what they're talking about. This is the opposite of that. This is, you know, this is just results-based that they've been wildly lucky. And then you're going to take that and put that forward as almost like a QB wins thing and say, Hey, you know, this was an accidental uh, test run of what happens if you pay Lamar $45 million a year and results have been great. <laughs> really yeah. you yeah. know like how how do you think and we're talking about too you know some of these major injuries have been running backs who know they're never going to pay anyway so like you know even if you wanted to we don't need to go down the rabbit hole but there was more ways that this is wrong than just that surface you know you know that surface depth kind of criticism i mean it was wrong on multiple multiple levels like makes no sense and you know hey Credit to Lamar for uh, throwing the ball the last couple of weeks. He's looked pretty good, at least 
um, at times, mm-hmm. you know, I, I went to bed halfway, you know, that I texted you, <laughs> you know, halfway through that game, uh, didn't look like the Ravens had any chance in that game. I went to sleep. I woke up. I see the final score. <laughs> like things happened, you know. So major know. things I mean, happen. Yeah. You'd like. I think you would even text me like before they even went up more. Before the Lamar fumble on the goal line. In a, Correct. Yeah. So it got even more weird. Like I just like if you want to say that Lamar is making the offense respectable, cool. Like yeah, he clearly has helped them. Of, with it with injuries in the running back room and, and and the wide receiver stuff like I get it cool that to me is is fine but like justifying their four and one record as a as a sort of test run to to big quarterback money is I don't know I just don't get it I I think the whole framing of Baltimore is weird to me I don't think we're taking into account the weirdness of their three wins that have swung their record like I really don't they're not the usual uh, you know it, it, people get very almost uh you know, cavalier about this. Like, ah, you know, the NFL one score games. Eh, no, these weren't like regular one score games, man. None of that. They, they None were, of that. yeah, they were extremely weird games that like, I don't think they should have won and cool. They did. And I get it that like, like Lamar's giving them even a chance to have these weird wins, but the framing of the tweet was weird and everybody gets, comes at me about it. like, I get it. He didn't frame it that way though. He framed it as like, he's responsible for some of these weird swings where if they were one and four, it wouldn't be the same tweet. It would just, it would just be like, you know, it would, it would, it would be framed completely different. It, it wouldn't even be crafted. So I just felt like there was very results. If this, if this is like the, the first five games of the season for the next 10 years, when you sign Lamar Jackson for 45 million, um, you're going to come up two and three and one and four most of the time, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of like how I would um, to frame this thing. It's just like, if this is, if, if this is what you like, I think you're talking about a dice roll. And when we talk about the weirdness of these games, I will go ahead and roll those dice, you know, for 10 straight years. And I don't think you're going to find another four and one record out of it. No, <laughs> I don't either. It's been bizarre, yeah. but like yeah. more power to him. Another thing that came out was, was Justin Tucker. And would you trade a first round pick for Justin Tucker? And like the, the whole point that was made was, of course you would, you should give that. I just, I don't know. He's, he, there's something about the confidence that comes with Justin Tucker. That isn't kind of crazy. I, I don't know. I, I would think about it. And that, I guess that probably gives you the answer to the greatness of Justin Tucker, right? Like I would actually pause to think about whether I would move in a first round pick for them, that kicker. Yeah. I think, you know, the initial reaction is just, you'd you be insane to, to make that trade, you know, for, as a team that was trading for him. Um, I think that's the initial response. I thought an interesting kind of uh, counter to that was, I don't know if you've seen this guy. He's a former um, analytics guy, game manager for the Eagles, Ryan uh, Paganetti. I don't think, I don't think I've seen him. Yeah. So he, uh, I think since not working with the Eagles, he's kind of been unleashed on Twitter. It's been a very interesting follow. Um, I'll send you his thing because his, it's it's something you'd want to see because it's an insight into what these guys are putting in coaches' ears on the sidelines. So, uh, but he came back um, kind of counter to this uh, and was saying, you know, this isn't like drafting a kicker in the first round. You already know what you're getting. You probably have ten years left of him, um, and that spawned a discussion with a lot of the uh, data guys like uh, Tej and. Um, 
Timo and Ben Baldwin and Kevin Cole, they all got in on this trying to figure out what his wins over replacement were over this time. Um, and it ranged from like three and a half to seven and a half wins uh, since he's been in the league. So uh, it's nothing to sniff at. Now, whether or not you would do that and, you know, then it would play into it. Well, if the, you know, you know, obviously, if the, we were talking about Browns Ravens, you know, you'd love to take that away from them or whatever the case. But I don't know. I thought it was really interesting to see a lot of data guys get in and kind of make the case that this wasn't as crazy as initially sounds uh, just because and literally just because Justin Tucker is that much better you know, than just about everybody else. There's no other reason that you could possibly make this argument for any other kicker in this league, any other kicker that you've seen in your lifetime. If you're, you know, well, I don't know, it probably goes beyond this, but at least in our lifetime. So uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. So, um, you know, you're talking about a kicker adding that kind of value and we've seen it. I mean, the only thing I would be actually a little concerned with, I would almost be worried if the Browns got him that our coach would become too, too conservative having that kind of a kicker you know the Ravens have done a pretty good job of still balancing that while having him but you know you wonder how much uh, more tightened up a coach gets when you know he's got a kicker that can boot him in from 60 plus yards for sure that's a good point it's a good conversation topic and you you nailed it I uh I think that that would be the concern a fair concern right oh we'll just settle for three here well I I, I do think they find the perfect balance where they don't put too much on him but they also trust him like crazy in the right spots and yeah anyway it's it's fun and it speaks to his greatness and I just thought it should be talked about the Bengals um boy did I I, I don't know I know we were we we're kicking it in your garage during that game but like I just thought that they had the perfect game against Green Bay. It was lined up right. One o'clock game on the road. Perfect letdown game for Green Bay. And they could not finish it. And they even got the fluke touchdown to Jamar Chase. Like, I just remain unfazed by Cincinnati. I just think that I just don't, I don't really, I don't really know what their identity is. I just feel like their, their offense is just calling plays. Like, they don't run offense. They just call plays. Like, I don't. I don't know what good, they are. I don't good criticism. Yeah, I don't know what they are. They're banking on a lot of downfield throws to Jamar Chase, who's the type of guy that I think Denzel and, and, and Greg Newsom will cover really well. Um so I don't know. I remain unafraid of Green Bay. Otherwise, like Joe Burrow has got a that dude's got <laughs> maybe my criticism was over the top, but he's not he's not Josh Allen. He's not he's not Lamar where they don't take hits. It seems like he is like the dude who takes hits and he's not built to withstand that stuff. So like saying, you know, somebody from Bengals came back at me and was like, well, this is a part of who he is. Right. And they they don't want to diminish him from using his legs. But to me, it's like, (laughs) I, he's not, he's not a runner man. And he can't be in the second quarter of a week, five game diving with his head first on a third and eight diving four yards before the first down marker. I just like, I feel like he plays too reckless. I'm sorry. I feel like he does. And he is already getting beat up by his own team. He shouldn't, he shouldn't create his own situations, right? Like, I don't know. It's just, that's just where I am. I think the Bengals are a team you, you should definitely head into feeling like you should beat, but being aware that they can make some plays. But I, I just, 
again, my ch- my opinion on this pod on Fridays with them has, re- has remained unchanged, and I thought they had a really good chance to beat Green Bay, and it was an all-time kicker blunder there where their kicker celebrates making a kick that didn't go in, and I don't think that should be ignored <laughs> either, John. Excellent. Uh, excellent meme material on that one. Um, the... You know, I think you've been pretty good, too. Uh, I want to give you some credit at identifying some of these uh, letdown games uh, where I've had a little bit of a blind spot to them. I think you did that with uh, Detroit uh, against the Ravens, and you did that with this game. You know, if anything, I came away feeling better about our schedule because it's unchanged against the Bengals, Mm -hmm. and my opinion of Green Bay has lowered as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Um, At least somewhat. Now... Uh, I have spent, because you brought it up, I mean, I've spent an inordinate amount of time talking about uh, quarterbacks' abilities to avoid the killer hit, even if it's in the pocket or if it's on the run, whatever the case. You know, I spent a decade watching, you know, well, really his whole career, but, you know, a decade of intensely watching every uh, Brett Favre snap. And let me tell you, part of his Ironman streak was that the man could not be hit hard. He just, I mean, it happened once in a while. Yeah, sure. But he was the slipperiest, you know, especially for a guy that's not really an athlete. But, you know, the he used pump fakes. He used subtle shoulder movements. He could just adjust his body to not get crushed, even when they had an unblocked guy coming at him. And, um, you know, I used to kind of make jokes that, Robert Griffin was like the guy who took every ounce of pound per square foot tackle, <laughs> you know, force. He just would get hit harder than anybody else. You know, yeah. you talk about like, you know, as, as far as a running quarterback, you know, he's the literal opposite of Lamar Jackson, right? Like Lamar, you're just, you, you don't get a solid clean hit on him where Robert Griffin, I saw take more hits with that full force than just about anybody um, that I've seen. And Joe Burrow <laughs> is trying to basically challenge that with absolutely no athletic ability whatsoever. Yeah. And I have no idea what he was thinking on that, especially, uh, you know, anybody who watched that game knows exactly what play we're talking about, where he ran to the left side and God knows, you know, with that, with scar already on one knee, what he was thinking doing that. But um, you know, he is not going to last long if you don't take that out of his game. Just take it out. In my opinion, Joe Burrow should be Peyton Manning-esque and turtle up if somebody gets free. You know, just let it go, man, and move on to the next down because, you know, that's they they don't have a ton to protect him anyway. They're going yeah. to empty sets. Yeah. You know, just don't take those sets, man. It's like some some quarterbacks get ultimate protection, you know, like Baker's a good example. He gets really great protection in the pocket for the most part, and then, you know, the only hits Baker's going to take are the ones that he creates for himself. You know, for example, going to try to tackle somebody on an interception. Like, that's the way he's going to get hurt unless he does something stupid outside of the pocket, which he doesn't. So Burrow's recklessness compiled with the fact that he can be one of the rare guys who get hit in the pocket. You know, it's a great point that, in my opinion— um, I don't know if it was Kurt Warner I heard talking about this or uh, I can't I cannot remember off the top of my head, but they're talking about how the you know guys used to get two steps and, and hit them and it would be no flag. It was just it was the way the game was played. Like you would right. get two steps drilled and no flag was thrown. It was just different. Now they protect quarterbacks. They do all they can, but there are some guys like Joe who are going to take pressure poundings 
in the pocket because of his O-line and because of the structure of the offense they run. So you add those on top of clearly he has proven, in my opinion, that he is not he's he's graceful, but he's clumsy at the same time, and he's not smart about hiding his frame or hiding the you know taking away like what Lamar can do, where he he takes away any clean shot you have it, like a little hip wiggle or a little like turn sideways at the right time. Like he just is. It's an innate thing. It's it's why I keep telling people who say, "Oh, he's one hit away." No, the only way Lamar's getting hurt is if he does a non-contact thing he just tears an acl running like that's just to me that's it he's just he's not going to take he's not going to take something serious so but it's different with joe so if he wants to keep doing that that's his prerogative that's fine he's going to get seriously hurt at some point and it's going to be his own fault so take that or leave it pittsburgh uh pittsburgh's like the crazy cousin off in the distance great great win over denver cool i just I just don't have the ability to take them serious. I haven't even rewatched their game. I don't know if I will. I I don't. I think Denver's more of who we thought they were now than 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 before. And they're like, I heard this too about old Denver teams, the Brock Osweiler teams, where, you know, into the, the quarterback situation after uh, after Peyton Manning, where it's like the defense is so good and they start out so hot and then they realize, like, shit, our offense is terrible. This sucks. We're miserable. And your defense starts to just falter because of it. Where, you know, you throw your hands up. We can get all these stops, but at the end of the day, we have Teddy Bridgewater and we have Drew Locke and we have no wide receivers. Everybody's hurt. We're not going to score points. And you start to defeat yourself, if that makes sense. And I think that's where, I think that's where Denver's heading. If they can, if they canvas and lose to this Raven or this Raiders team, which I think they might. I think the Raiders might come out like ultimate motivated for this game and win. Then you get them three and three on a short week, and I just fear them even less. So that's where I'm at with Denver. Then you kind of carry that into what Pittsburgh is. I just think that that was a game Pittsburgh should have won, and they did. And I'm not, I'm not changed. They even lost Juju, which to me, not, not a pendulum swinger, but he's a guy that matters to them. If you hear all their quotes, John, he's a guy that matters to what they do there. They're whether we agree with how Juju approaches life and TikTok and and stuff, he's well respected from a football standpoint there. So how they alter their course with that i get it they have james washington still they you know they can still play claypool and their their guy is clearly deontay but i do think it changes that the dynamic a little bit for them and just like i am with cincinnati i'm sort of unchanged on on my fear or appropriate fear i guess is a way to say it of pittsburgh we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we got John with some new headphones. Had to had to uh, do a little pit stop, get them swapped out. He heard my tangent on Denver and Pittsburgh. Feel free to respond, my friend. Yeah, I think that uh, you're spot on. My opinion is unchanged. I don't think we even need to go um, into Pittsburgh. It it remains the same. As far as Denver, I think you're right too. I mean, there's um, you know, there's definitely something to. There's only so much a defense can do for you, especially in today's NFL, if you can't move the ball on the other side. So, yeah, I'm going to say that, again, this is game number two that didn't scare me anymore regarding our division opponents and also made me feel a little bit better about our schedule uh, outside the division. Yeah, and and two, before we close up the NFL stuff, we should and switch to Cleveland. We, I mean, it's Cleveland and the NFL. How do you feel about Miles' quarterback graveyard decorations? <laughs> it's so I great. Love it. He's just yeah. the best, dude. He's just I the agree. best. I hope people take it the wrong way, but I just think it's the funniest thing in the world. Like Miles is the is the weirdest <laughs> awesome human being that I I like he doesn't he doesn't care about anything other than football like in terms of what mainstream people think he should like or what they think he should do. Like the people he hangs out with, the way he approaches life, his interests. I just, uh, you know, I'm trying to lately, John, I'm trying to really get my mind around appreciating what the Cleveland Browns are doing and the people they have. Like this week, I've really been trying to to remind people that the outcome of the Cleveland Browns offense, and I'm sure you've heard me say it a couple times now this week in different spots, but like your happiness with the Cleveland Browns offense is probably tied to what Baker and Odell do. It's just the way we're meant to think about modern NFL offense. And it's pretty clear that they have not worked out for whatever reason. We don't have to go into that, but you're probably going to be upset because Baker hasn't carried them on the last drive to touchdowns, whatever. And that makes you feel, but like, you know, they put up 500 yards and it's like your perception of their success is tied to how you care. Like, it should, you shouldn't. You should feel so cool that your team put up 230 rushing yards. But it's like, well, Cleveland just runs the ball. They're whatever. Like we've been trained to diminish rushing rushing success. Is it? You know what I'm saying? It's really weird. Yeah, yeah. And then it's made people like not be happy with the Browns' offense in a weird sort of way. Does that make sense? No, it does, and it's especially weird, right? Especially weird coming off this week where. It's historic numbers for a loss. You know, the, the, you know, we're talking about the smallest amount of game clock that you would be upset with this offense. And, you know, it's, uh, you really got to find a way to step back and understand that this is week five of a 17 game season and we need to be playing our best football uh, a couple of months from now, not right now. You know, yeah. and uh, appreciate what's going on and appreciate the upside, appreciate the fact that we had so much on the injury side, you know, whether it was during the game or before the game with a healthy, you know, with a surprise scratch of Clowney, you know, appreciate what you've got here. Enjoy the defense. Enjoy Miles Garrett, you know, enjoy these running backs who you're never going to see again, you know, on the yeah. same team, maybe past next year or something like that. But you're 100% right. It's just, uh, it's a, it's, 
totally tied to, and even if it was just tied to Baker, you would have been happy outside of, you know, that pass interference call basically, which bailed Justin Herbert out and put all the onus on our offense. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, people are going to focus on Odell and Baker and I'm just not going to join them. It's like, I'm trying to get people to see that big picture. You know, it's like, we can celebrate the fact that, yeah, the passing game has not quite been where you want it to be. I, I get it. I'm watching it. I, Unfortunately, I I do quarterback breakdowns every week. I don't do running back breakdowns. Maybe I should switch. You know, like I don't know. Maybe I should change my approach to it. But you know, I dig like, it. <laughs> like they're running the football so freaking well. Nobody has figured out how to stop them, and we don't talk about it. We just Nick Chubb's really good. Kareem's really good. Line's good. We don't spend any time on it. They're so good, and we should appreciate that. So it's like. Your happiness is ultimately, again, tied to how your quarterback's playing in the NFL and what the pass game is producing, all of that, and the frustration, like the wide receivers don't get enough targets and Odell's not producing. And should they? It's like, hey, man, let's step back and appreciate the two savants you have in the backfield maybe a little bit and appreciate what the offensive line's doing and what the coaches are doing to tie that all together and make it sync up. So, I don't know, just something to consider. Consider it. Maybe I need to write on it. Probably will. But, you know, consider it. And it's the same with Miles on defense. Like, I know things haven't been perfect on that side of the ball either, but this guy's so freaking great. And you may never see, he may end up being in Cleveland his whole life. Like I could really see him being happy with that. He just is the type of duty is. And, and he might break the sack record this year. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's in play. It's absolutely in play. Yeah. And we just, you know, those are never the topics though. Those are never the topics. And maybe, maybe it's my responsibility along with a lot of other people, maybe yourself too, whatever. We need to steer it in that direction. I agree. I don't know how we do that, but steering it in those directions probably helps, but let's switch over to the Cardinals and how they beat the Cardinals. So we looked at the defense. So they are really big up front. So they will play their three, four base. So what they'll do is the three guys they have playing inside, which if I can pull up my notes in front of me here, I want to, I want to talk about a couple of those big bodies that play inside. They're all at three or close to three bills. J.J. Watt's not three bills, but he's, you know, he's a huge human being. He's going to push it some weeks and some weeks not. Uh, so he plays inside Richard Lawrence, Zach Allen. They give um, uh, our good friend uh, Mike Krupka's Michael Dogbay, they give him some snaps inside. Uh, Lekai uh, Fotu, I hope I said that right. Apologize if I didn't. Those are big dudes, all pushing three bills. They'll play four of them sometimes. Get this, last week, and again, San Francisco's not an, a, a, a like one-for-one one comparison. They use less uh, less 13 personnel than Cleveland does, but they're similar offense. The Shanahan structure, you get it. They played, let me count them up here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 snaps uh, of, of three DBs on the field. And those are not goal line snaps. Those are neutral field situations, John. So they're getting weird. We looked at a snap before we came on this podcast of a 6-2 front. We talked about the Browns using 6-1 to slow down Tennessee last year and slow down the Vikings this year. Maybe they throw that out. Maybe that's a thing they do. Maybe they 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 use uh, more nickel. They used a ton of nickel, so they're a ton of nickel, and uh, they don't really play much dime. At least they didn't last week. They played one, two, three, four, five, six snaps of dime. No, five, five snaps of dime. That's it. So they're nickel and four in terms of DBs, uh, and then they'll get real weird, and they're playing that six two to get even more beef on the line. Do you think? Again, I will kind of echo what I just said before we switch to how they beat these guys. Do you think they will throw out that more 6-2 look? Do you think that they'll say, screw it? We watched what you did to the Chargers, and you should have beat the Chargers based on simply running the ball, for the most part. You know, they gave up the yak yards and all that, and that didn't help. But the Browns ran at will. 
And do you think they're going to say the opposite? We are truly going to dare Baker Mayfield, uh, Baker Mayfield to throw the football downfield, and we are going to try like hell to take away what you're most comfortable with. Because they, they, they're throwing out these 6-2 looks. They're getting crazy. The three linebackers we know about, we've, we've certainly heard their names, whether in free agency interest or draft interest. Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, and Jordan Hicks was a free agent interest a couple years back. They play all three of those guys. Really, they like to play Simmons and Hicks more, but Zayvon Collins saw an uptick last week, so they're really big up front. They're not going to have Chandler Jones, so that'll throw a wrench into how they rush off the edge. They, they'll probably end up playing a little bit more of a... Marcus Golden or Devin Kennard kind of rotating in that role. But still, it's going to be unique. And do you think they'll get weird and do some of this stuff and truly say, like, Baker, beat us? Yeah, I do. I, I really do. I think that um, – th- I don't think they have much of a choice, Jake. I mean, this is a defense that is, you know, is pretty good on the coverage end, right? I mean, in terms of PFF, in terms of coverage grade, they are number three. Right. So on the back end, they cover pretty well. And about 38% man is what I, what we talked about too before this thing. About 10th and man percentage, which is, you know, pretty high. Double what the Browns do. So 18 to 20 ish snaps a game. Yeah. That's big. That, that's a good percentage. Now, you know, on the flip side, their defense is one of the worst tackling units in the league. They're fifth worst in tackling, they are second worst in rush defense. So, you know, they may try and attack that with more bodies. Now, one of the questions I had, and I'll pose this to you, Jake, you know, if you're going to play 30% man, you're not a very good tackling team. Um, you know, you can use those motions. I mean, we're we're close to the top of the league in motions. Uh, we can manipulate man teams uh, in the run game, can we not? I mean, to to – manipulate these numbers to make that work for us and make it worse for them 100 percent. the browns run i think three to one a uh, number of times they run motion on run plays to motions and pass game and why they do that is the exact reason you're talking about which is manipulating fronts and manipulating looks to get certain players on islands that have to tackle 24 and 27 it's no it's no mistake guys why if you watch the browns and nick chubb alone had 10 forced missed tackles the other day that that's in one game, ten, <laughs> and Kareem added five. They routinely, and again, the Browns line is really, really good. They do a fantastic job, but they're not infallible. And sometimes, whether through gapped out numbers or whatever, guys get through. Those guys so rarely get tackled in the backfield. They'll make a man miss, and it's almost to the point. I don't know if anybody's ever studied this because there's the whole, you know, the best running back teams and best running teams in the league will make a man miss on every snap. I think the Browns are at a two average, which is rare. And I think I saw today um, Anthony Reinhardt, who does a great job with us at the OBR, and posted some things about the plus-minus EPA. The Browns have been a plus EPA in the run game every week this year. I think that's pretty rare to, to have every single week above the EPA line. That's, that's I think pretty, one it's of hard to do in run teams, games. One of only three teams, I'm pretty sure, to have a plus DVOA in the rushing game as well. So I, mean, I think any way that you look at this run game, um, you know, I, it's uh, it's a real serious threat. It's not a joke. It's not, you know, something that's kind of nice off to the side. No, it's a real problem for teams. And uh, it's not a problem just because we have two great rushers, just like you said. I mean, it's a problem because these coaches are so good at 
um, marrying that up, manipulating the numbers games and giving them a chance. And then you put these two great running backs out against the worst people that you could find almost like a, you know, it's almost like a switching game, uh, you know, with basketball, they're just going to switch until they get the matchup that they want. And then they're going to unleash. It's a great so way to put it's it. it. It's a great way to put it. They don't, they just, I haven't seen anyone stop it. I really haven't. And you can correct me if I'm, I'm talking like, in not a game where the Browns fall down 14, 21 points early, in a neutral game where the Browns either trail by seven or are winning in some way, shape, or form, nobody has figured out how to stop them. I said it 17 times on this pod. The only team I've seen come close are the Bears, who were at 68 through three quarters, and then the Browns ran for 100 I know in the fourth alone. I know last year there were several games where I noted the fourth quarter running for the Browns is ridiculous. Like, the body blows Twitter, like, loves the Browns. They're... <laughs> they're not they're not your average team in this phase like they're like you know some teams are really good run teams and you can say you know even even the titans you can say like hey and to an extent here but we can allow them to do that but we'll make them th- like i think you really have to say we have got to find some way to stop their running approach we have to because nobody's done it and i have yet to see how the browns react to it like like really unable to run like for example, the Cardinals won last week when James Conner had 10 carries for 29 yards, and I think Edmonds had 5 for 13. That that has never happened. I've never seen Cleveland have that issue uh, to that extent. So can they figure out that? That's what I would be as a DC. I would be saying, how do we do that? And again, easier to sit here behind a computer and say than to figure it out. But that's the approach I would be taking. So some of this 6-2 stuff where you're saying, hey, man, we're going to play three corner, two corners and a safety, and good luck. Figure it out. Beat us. That's where it's like... I would try it. And I think maybe I personally think they are trying to throw those two things with, with the, with the 49ers to prep it for Cleveland. I really do. I really think they were trying to do that because they know the 49ers run it fine, but they don't run it like Cleveland does because they don't have the backs. They have the, they have the structure and they have some of the offensive line pieces. Like their left tackle is playing unbelievable football, but they don't have the collective approach and they don't have the skill in the backfield that makes Cleveland Cleveland. And it's just, it's like, I have not seen Cleveland not have their way with somebody. So that's to pay attention to. I don't think the Cardinals are quite that team, but I do think they're going to throw some weird stuff out there. Like, I don't think anybody's talking about this whole 3DB thing that we just uncovered literally before the pod. Like, I don't hear anyone in Cleveland market talking about it. I think it'll be a talking point next week. So we'll see. You're right. They Byron Murphy and Buda Baker, they got talent in the secondary and they're covering well. But this is a game where Baker could pop the top off here and and find some answers, right? Especially with no Chandler Jones, too, where you lose a little bit of that added pressure that they like to have. And a team like the Titans, they played week one. You, you, you know, John, they, they were able to slow down what the Titans do, which is similar to what Cleveland does because of Chandler and, and bringing him off the edge and doing some unique things there. No, I agree. And, you know, that's, that's the other point I was going to bring up. I mean, Overall, you know, grade-wise, you're talking about a middle-of-the-road defense. You know, they cover like one of the best teams in the league. Um, you know, they pass rush one of the better teams in the league. But if you remove Chandler Jones from that equation, I mean, these are this is a bottom third group of guys, and they're going to have to get real creative. You know, um, you mentioned stopping the game. You know, I don't, I don't think that they were on their game for this particular one, but there is one that I. Um, that I recall, and, and it's the Giants. Against the Giants, uh, I think it was Sunday Night Football late last year. That's a good call They, out. Abs- they absolutely shut down the uh, the Browns' rushing attack, and Baker had to beat them. Um, now, 
the way I don't think that the Cardinals can play like the Giants did in that game, but it's just one that, that came to mind is uh, the one that I remember just because it's so rare that they were able to shut down entirely the rushing game. So it should be pretty interesting. But like I said, you know, you remove Chandler Jones from this thing and, and these guys are a bottom third defense. They just are. And I don't know, it'll, it'll just be a very interesting battle to watch. Let me put it that way. You know, like you've seen like some crazy six, one, six, two snaps from these guys, you know, Buda Baker, uh, excellent, um, you know, in the run game too, if they can play him up close to the line, it's going to provide opportunities for Cleveland to, you know, to throw the ball, but maybe they won't have to. I just don't know. You know, I mean, if I'm the Browns, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you show me before I can, you know, it was, it was a little different against the Titans where we knew they were going to sell out against the run last year. And so we just came out firing balls and, you know, put up a massive amount of points. In this one, I don't think I'd approach it that way. I mean, I, I think I would make them show you that the run game is working so damn well this year. I would make them show you. And, you know, all that's going to do is make them commit more to it. So I, w- I would start and, and make them show you that they can stop it at all before I got away from it because it's their weakness. Like like I said, you know, rush defense, tackling, and that's with Chandler and Jones. You, you remove him yeah. from the equation. Let's see what they can do. Maybe a little recency bias for me. Last year, the Jets game. Now, they were behind pretty early in that Jets game, but they only ran for 45 yards in that game. They had both guys, and they didn't run well. They didn't do much True. well. But, uh, it's a little bit weirder just because of the – you know, They were blitzing the corners. They, that yeah, was the thing right. they were doing. They were literally <laughs> sending corners into out-gap Cleveland. I wrote up that one. Um, the Bengals game, but they didn't have Nick. They only ran for 82. The Pittsburgh game, we obviously know why. They were down like boom right away. They had to throw all game. They only ran for 75. The Raiders game is probably a pretty good example. It was ugly, so that probably didn't help totally in terms of uh, keeping teams honest. But that one, it was like, and was Nick in that one? I can't remember if Nick came back for no, that one. Nick, Nick, Nick wasn't in that one. Teller wasn't in that one. That's and right. That was one of the the win games too. That's right. And then one hundred six against the Giants. 112 against KC. One eighteen. A lot of against... carries though for that one hundred six. I'm pretty sure our average was in the dirt. I don't have the carry numbers. You're probably right. Uh, 112 against the Chiefs, but that was come behind comeback game. 118 against the Titans. That game was so weird. But yeah, I mean they're pretty much. It's a little recency bias. They've been different level this year. They really have. They've yeah. They've put it on everybody. If I go look at 2021, let's look at the rushing statistics for this year. <laughs> they haven't had a game with less than 153. And that Chiefs game, uh, <laughs> you know, they could have. I thought they could have run for even more. Uh, Texans 156, 184, Vikings 215, Bears 230, Chargers. So they're on a different level this year. We'll see if it continues, but I would be a team that tries to stop it. On the offensive side, it's even more outlier to me. I mean, they're they're obviously clo- coached by Cliff, so the comparison's easy to make, but I always call Baltimore the Navy of the NFL in terms of how you have to prepare for the unique things that they do. It's kind of like Texas Tech here, right, or, or the Washington state or uh you know how mummy teams whatever they're different they're unique they do things different 73 snaps of 10 personnel which is number one usage rank in the nfl they run the most no huddle so that was something i thought the browns struggled with last week i expect them to use no huddle uh with cliff 105 snaps of that that's second in the nfl their 288 snaps are third in the nfl uh shotgun so they they use it a lot obviously with kyler 
Uh, they run very little motion, which is surprising. Only 100 motion snaps, which is 28th in the league. But they play action the hell out of you. 74 of those snaps, which is third in the NFL. Surprisingly, the Browns are only 23rd in play action snaps. And then they RPO like crazy, as you would expect. 63 RPO snaps, and that's second in the NFL. And they are not a short drop-back team. Only 23 percentage of uh, of, of throws or schemes used are, are quick, short dropbacks. One step, uh, I would imagine one-step type drops. Design rollouts, they don't do many, but they do a high volume of screens. They've thrown 24 screens, which is fourth highest in the league. And then they run, as you would expect, into light boxes because of all the 10 personnel they use. Their third most runs into light boxes in the NFL. So how do you think is best to go about stopping Kyler and whatever the hell they're going to try to do this week? I think it needs to be a similar plan to what we wanted to see against Patrick Mahomes in week one. I think we want to keep things in front. I think we want to be disciplined like we weren't against uh, the Chiefs in week one. Uh, I thought one of the interesting uh, quotes of the week was out of the Woods interview where they asked a question that I think has come up a bunch of times in Brown's you know, Twitter. And we've always answered this thing very guardedly. You know, uh, it was did you draft a guy like JOK uh, with the intent of stopping guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson? And Joe Woods did not hesitate. He said, yes, just like flatly. Yes. And it was an instant answer. And we've always said, you know, Hey, it's gotta be a team thing. It's gotta be a gang type deal. And I still believe that and everything, but it was pretty wild to hear him just flatly say yes. When he said that. And now with JOK as a starter, um, so I expect to see 60 snaps of him every week for the rest of the season, unless he's hurt. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He mentioned uh, he mentioned JOK and Delpit. So it'll be very interesting to see how they handle this game versus Patrick Mahomes, where I know you had a lot of points regarding spying and those types of things, uh, these awful depth blisters that they did with JOK. I think they did like five of them in week one uh, that never got home. It will be very interesting to me to see, A, are we going to be disciplined in our rush lanes? B, is Delpit and or JOK going to be spying Kyler Murray and how we have improved since week one in terms of dealing with a quarterback like that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The spy thing could be real because this is unique. Uh, Herbert can move a little bit. I think he surprised the Browns with how well he could move last week. I think he's 
but he's he's like Mahomes. They're not winning with their legs. Now, Lamar's different. I think Lamar and Kyler are in a category of their own here. I think maybe you could even creep Jalen Hurts in there a little too, uh, but whatever. But it's worth noting that he has only run for 110 yards through five games. He has not topped more than 39 in any one game. He's not running it much. He's only run 30 times. He does have, I, think, I, I think he has three touchdowns, but... Again, like if I'm looking at his game by games, he went five for twenty week one in a touchdown, five for thirty one week, uh, week two in a touchdown, seven uh, for only nineteen in week three, and then six for thirty nine. Then last week against San Francisco, which again he's listed with a shoulder issue on the in the uh, injury report, he's fully and expected to play. Uh, he only ran, he ran seven times for a yard. So, you know, I, he, Kyler's going to extend play. He's going to use his legs to do something, but he's clearly not being designed run. So. And I don't even recall 2019 many design runs. I think there was a couple where he broke loose on a few, but like he's not Lamar in that sense. But he is like a souped-up version of of uh, of Herbert and, and Mahomes in terms of extending plays with his legs. So I'm not sure you have to give him a spy. Uh, I don't know that you have to go that route. I would love to keep a guy in coverage because he's throwing the ball so well right now. I'd prefer to go that route. I think he's completing 75% of his throws, so that's ridiculous at this rate. Ten touchdowns, four picks. Uh, but but I would really, really, really harp rush lane discipline with this stuff because so often the Browns are so aggressive, and their win rates are awesome, but they're so aggressive that they like are like a dog chasing a bone. They're so like, when they get toward the, that they don't even think about the way a quarterback could escape the pressure, right? Like sometimes it'd be cool to see them manipulate a quarterback to get out of the pocket or scramble in a certain way. Think about Baker's fourth down sack in Minnesota where Everson Griffin, sorry, excuse me, Daniil Hunter won inside because he knew that would push Baker high and out of the pocket right. And what did Everson Griffin do? He ran a huge loop and was right there to tackle Baker getting out of the pocket. So, like, can you use your rush to manipulate Kyler to escape the pocket in some way? So there's a balance there, right, John, where you don't want to just pity patter at the line and not get pressure. You want to create pressure, but can you do it in a way that doesn't leave you vulnerable? Because there can be a game where Kyler runs for 90 and you don't want it to be this game. You can't afford it to be this game. So you got to figure out that will be, if you're watching, will be one of the number one focal points for sure. How are they handling? Uh, how are they handling quarterback run? Because he doesn't want to run it, but I'll tell you what, he will. If you give him that opportunity and drop seven, rush four, and give him run lanes, he'll take them. So what are they doing to sort of like, I would love to to review this game next week and think, man, they really conned him into doing some things. Like to me, that would be great because you're right about coverage. Whatever it was, whatever miscommunication, John Stephenson's talking to me about some calm, some palms coverage out of quarters. There was miscommunication there potentially. I don't know. We'll never know. They're not gonna they're not gonna railroad somebody in the week uh, after a miscommunication stuff like that. But we've never seen it to that level, and they cannot, 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 cannot let it happen again. Whatever happened in L.A. there, they can't let it happen again. So that to me, paying attention to coverage communication with John Johnson getting the plays in, and then how or what way are they going about throttling Kyler down into the pocket, condensing things, while also being there to try to figure out how to keep him out of creating, extending plays to throw downfield, right? Because that's going to be the the challenge. Do you think they they go dime to match the uh, 10 personnel? Do you think they leave Walker or Smith on, or do you think that we see JOK in the 60 snap range again? 
I think we're going to see him no matter what in the in the sixty snap range. It'll be interesting, actually. It's a good question because you're, you're asking something we haven't seen before. Will we see GOK play that, you know, play that single spot? But we've got all three. Well, we expect to have all the corners back, mm-hmm. so I expect him to use those guys for the first five snaps, getting, right? <laughs> yeah, right. At least. You know, well, the two the, <laughs> they, other, the other question to caveat into that, too, is if they're going to have all of them, they're going to play dime. Would it be wise to bump Greg inside and keep playing greedy because greedy's playing well, man? If he can do it. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, Troy has been a little bit hit or miss, but um, it depends. What about playing them gonna... together? I don't mean to cut you off, John, but what about playing them together? Keep Troy in, I... use two safeties, keep those four corners in and match their 10 personnel that way. Because, you know, Greg had some snaps in the camp and preseason and in, 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 on the inside. It's just an idea. I don't know what you think of it. No, I do like that. And it maximizes athleticism because the other piece of that is you're dealing with the Rondell Moore, you know, in, in those, um, in those slot scenarios. So it's somebody that you've got to have people with ability on. And I'm not sure that you want a Ronnie Harrison there. If, uh, if you're talking about defending Rondell Moore. Let's get real weird, right? Let's get real weird and say, okay, we'll play dime. We'll play the four corners. We'll take a D lineman off the field. We'll put JOK and Ronnie Harrison as our inside dime backers, air quote, three to it, right? Keep the four corners, keep Grant and keep John Johnson deep. Put Ronnie up and, and JOK up who have dime, dime backered this thing and walk JOK up into the line, let him blitz sometimes or let him sort of hover, hover spy or peel late if a back goes out. That could be really fun and a good way to attack it. Am I right on that or wrong on that? What do you think? No, I tell you what. You know, when you brought this up in the offseason, I wasn't the biggest fan of it uh, against most teams. But this one who's going to run these types of formations. Uh, this would be the time to do it. At least you know, at least a dozen times or something like that. If they're going to run twenty snaps out of it or something like that, um, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's a pretty fun way to get weird. Yeah, and they have four wide receivers that are pretty good. So I don't think just like saying, "Ah, we'll bump JOK out there, let him handle one," or we'll bring we'll bring Ronnie down. And he, I think you need to have a plan. I think you would serve yourself well to match some of the quick screens that they like to do outside, and some of those yep. college level things that we see Cliff implement, which are fine. But you would be wise to match that with speed. And I think playing Grant inside, if Greedy can play outside, keep feeling good about that. Play John, play Grant deep, and then. You know, get real weird. You don't have to have a traditional three-two look. You could walk JOK up off an edge. You could do, you know, you could get really strange with it and try to confuse him. Where is twenty-eight? What's he doing? Is he blitzing me? Is he green dogging because the back stays in? Is he peeling out? Is he blitzing to manipulate pressure, then peeling out for a running back who who goes on a on a little uh, swing route or something? I think you could get really fun with that if you get them in the right situation. So uh, something to monitor. And plus, I think you can generate enough pressure with Miles and and. You, you could get real. You could get really fun and say, "Hey, we're going to put Clowny at nose. We're going to put <laughs> right. We're going to put Tack and Miles wide and go. And that's you know. And if they want to run, go go ahead. Like it, it, giving the ball right. to James freaking Connor and Chase Edmonds in the tackle box is completely fine. Get the ball out of Kyler's hands. Like go, cool, do it. So I don't know. Not saying that's the the weirdness Joe Woods could do, but this is a team where that sort of structure makes some sense to me am i you know i think you kind of answered it but that's just what i would try to do you know you're going to run your four-man stuff you're going to do who you are but it'd be fun right no absolutely uh i would love to see him get creative like that 
All right, Joe Woods, hire us. Simple as that, man. We got it figured out for you, brother. <laughs> we got it figured out. So we'll be here to track all the data as we do with the OBR Film Breakdown. A uh, ton of different things going on uh, to, to sort of see what happens. It's a game that could get creative on both sides and might need or necessitate some creativity to win it. We'll keep an eye on those injuries as tomorrow will be a vital day to figure out who's going to play. Because, right, like, John, you can manipulate some bye weeks. They don't have a bye week till November, but if you give guys two full days off in the week, take them through a, a, a shirt, you know, shoulder pads, where they call them shells and shorts day on a Friday, sure. you're kind of manufacturing your own bye week there, right? So I'm not panicked yet about that. Concern panic thing we talk about in this pot all the time. I'm concerned about some guys and you know missing a couple of days of practice, but I do think they might be thinking, how do we manufacture some bye weeks here when we need it? This is a way we could do it. Yeah, I would think that that's an exact thing that they would do, and they seem to be doing that. And we're just, you know, with the bye week two months off, we're going to have to do those things. And so it's nice to see them uh, with a mind on that. In my opinion, you know, it could be out of total need, but I think you were right to point that out as. Uh, something that they might be doing in terms of manufacturing that. Maybe maybe not something you do with a first-year scheme on either side of the ball, but in the second year sure. you feel pretty comfortable with people knowing where they're supposed to be. And if, you, if you're spending a lot of your time like walking through it, you can get the people out there you need for the most part on Friday – it's a way. It's a way to sort of. I I guarantee they looked at their schedule and they're like, we need to find a way to give guys time off in the middle of the year because we don't. They got a weird late buy, so um, yeah. And you're so beat up that you need to get. You know, I mean, Nick and Kareem haven't practiced two straight days, and I didn't see either of them with injury issues. I just think they're designating things to give them a chance to breathe because it's a long year and and uh, all that stuff. So anyway, John, a blast, man. This was fun. I think we got a pretty good feel for what they can do on both sides here to beat the Cardinals. So this was informative. A lot of good stuff. Appreciate your time uh, on a Thursday night, brother. No problem. I love being here for it. So uh, we'll have some fun and go brownies on Sunday. That's right, man. Thanks again to John. Thanks again to you guys for listening to this pod. Make sure to check out our Saturday mock podcast that we do that puts out information week by week on prospects to watch for the game. Uh, announcements coming over the weekend at some time or Monday morning about when I'm going to do all 22 film break and how I'm going to do that. It could get real creative and just let you join me and go through it and we can talk through it and you can pick plays and all that stuff. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It's driven by your guys' uh, information and what you want because that's what we're doing it for here more than anything else. So, again, thanks to John. Thanks to you guys for listening. Appreciate all your support. Reviews have been through the roof and listens too. And that's because you guys either telling people or sharing the word or doing all the kind things that you do. So it means the world to me. Appreciate it. And have a great Friday. And we sign off with our usual. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.